This is Shannon and Durham, Chip and Durham, and Erica and Edmonton, and you are listening to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 105, and All My Dreams Torn Asunder. It's Season 5. I thought we were done with this. Done with what? The the the, the sturm, the, 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 the drum? war, the 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 war, the shooty, the the the, the bang, bang bang. Come bang. on. <laughs> uh, yes, we are back again. Uh, B five audio guide uh, closing in on the end of season five of uh, the TV show, and uh, yeah, uh, a new ant hill has been kicked over. So it's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to put it. Yeah, it, it's just so. I mean, they they were trying so hard to do it right this time, so it wouldn't happen. And, and, and of course, it happened anyway, because JMS is cruel. <laughs> <laughs> Drama. Um, exactly. Um, but yes, we are, uh, with this episode, back into a you know live shooting war again, and not just uh, trying to avoid it or uh, escalating behind the scenes or the other things that we have seen throughout this uh, this show. Um, and apparently this time, um, our favorite con- control group, Stephen, just, he, he has opinions and, and he wanted to come and share them. So hi, Stephen Chapansky. Welcome. Glad to have you again. I, I'm, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad that, uh, that I can just sort of like, um, be added back into this lineup, um, super quickly that, uh, that you, 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 you will allow me back into your wonderful group. So thank you for doing that. Well, I was, we know I, where you live. I was actually... <laughs> half surprised that you know with all of the awful stuff that happens in this episode i'm surprised it's not jason sitting in the fourth chair <laughs> right uh, well most if not all children in this uh episode uh you know emerge unscathed from the uh the ashes so um you know it's not quite a jason episode i find <laughs> but apparently Good it point. was a steven episode um can you tell us in like a hundred words or less before we get into it? Sort of, you know, why did you want to come and talk tonight? Well, <laughs> justify uh, yourself, sir. Justify <laughs> myself. So I did. The, I did the rare. Th- you know, usually at the end of each episode, um, uh, Erica will ask me. You know, she'll she'll jot down things that I'll say during the course of the episode, and and I said like four things, I think, and then I said a bunch of things afterwards. <laughs> And then she said, why don't you just be on this episode? <laughs> oh, okay. It was so many notes, you guys. <laughs> it's just okay, like, so this, is, this isn't even worth my time. My fingers can't take this. Was it too yeah. many notes? Was this an Amadeus thing? It was a lot of notes. <laughs> uh, so much so that when I woke up this morning, I couldn't remember, remember the episode or what I said. So I said to Erica, can you email me what I said to you <laughs> so that I have it on hand? Mm-hmm. for this episode so that's where we're at <laughs> okay then all right um so we will get to those notes in a few minutes um as usual uh we like to recap for people who are jumping in and out of the podcast so at this point what you need to know after the formation of the interstellar alliance in the wake of the shadow war and the earth civil war someone has been conducting random terrorist attacks on shipping lanes in the region The Alliance has gathered enough proof to present to the member worlds that the Centauri are behind the attacks. The Centauri Prime Minister, Londo Morlari, has suspected that something is going on back home, but has not made much headway in finding out what. The Alliance's Chief of Covert Operations, Michael Garibaldi, suffers from alcoholism and has relapsed in recent months. And in this episode, everything falls apart and war is declared on multiple sides. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) 
Um, so, uh, what I remember watching this episode uh, again is sort of feeling like there were a lot of some deliberate and some just sort of thematic callbacks to uh, previous episodes in the show. Uh, everything from visual to um, uh, to circumstantial, uh, how things fell apart. Uh, what did you guys think? I have to say that except for the uh, copious amount of notes that I was taking after the fact, um, I I have very little in the way of notes. And the reason for that is because I couldn't stop watching. Like, mm-hmm. I was just riveted from the beginning to the end of this thing. I I heartily concur. I mean, there is so much weight to this episode. And mm, good the, thing that, the thing that struck me about this is that Babylon 5, through the first four seasons, was all about building up to the Shadow War and then the Earth Civil War. And for season five, it was all about aftermath. Uh, But it wasn't necessarily building toward something that you could see coming. Um, Shannon, your description of this episode, while uh, about ten words long, could have been condensed into two words. Stuff happens. I'm not saying stuff. (laughs) But... And And I wasn't going to either. (laughs) <laughs> and it not, it's and it's not like it comes out of nowhere because a lot of threads from this season have been sort of building and building, but there wasn't a sense of inevitability to this the way there was to the Shadow War and the Earth mm-hmm. Civil War. You know, we kind of knew up leading up to this that the story was about building up to a big war kind of thing. Um, at least as it became came closer and closer into focus, this episode is about bad stuff happening you know everything that everything that could go wrong every bad choice that could be made every prejudice that could be weaponized just intersects and everybody's caught in a vice and sheridan knows it and delin knows it and jakar knows it and londo knows it and there's just this sort of inevitability and yet the recognition that if everybody had been just a little bit smarter perhaps or just a little more patient or just a little less addicted there were ways to avoid this and it just didn't happen and that's what makes this episode just so so heavy to me it and it starts off that way like i mean the very very first scene that Mm -hmm. was that was the moment that it hooked me in and it just never let me go because you start off with john and delenn in delenn's quarters and I mean, I always love them together, but there are some times when those two actors just really nail it. And this was one of those times because you get you get uh, Sheridan just being so loving and sweet and caring. And you just see Delench. I mean, she's just so intensely sad. And it, it was just it was perfect. It was it was very subtle. It was very underplayed. It was very underwritten, which was wonderful. And and then like everything continued from there. Every single scene, every single interaction between different characters was just it, it had weight. Like you said at the beginning, Chip, that's a that's a perfect word to describe it. It was it was great. Yeah. Um, what um, you know, you were mentioning the opening scene uh, in the Lurker's Guide. Uh, in the this episode listing uh, in the JMS Speaks section, he actually got so many questions about how much of what we saw 
was your writing and how much was the directing and how much was the acting. James finally just put his script up uh, to show, you know, like, you know, here, this is what I wrote. And then from what I wrote, this is what um, Garan Gajik, is that right? Gajic, probably. I I don't know if it's the J, how the J is, but it's probably each at the end because it's a crazy Um, name. Yeah, and what he did, um, you know, with that, this is what he did with that and what the actors did, you know, so it's a, you know, it was a collaboration to to produce this. Um, And yes, uh, by the way, uh, our director, uh, this is the only episode of Babylon 5 that he directed, uh, but he's also Mira Furlan's husband. So that is uh, an extra connection there. Uh, but yeah, um, I think I, I was actually I'm, I'm not one to notice directorial flourishes or directorial uh, fingerprints. I think I saw a lot of things in this episode. Um, and that's good because I was approving of, of things that were being done. Um, cameras banking on cranes, I think, is that that that's how they sweep the camera along sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um you know, some of the staging, especially in the council chambers, to have like, you know, Londo on one side and Lanier on the other sort of in a face off and everybody else around them as things are being presented. Um, just and a lot of the ways he framed shots of uh, close ups of people, whether they were delivering dialogue or not, um, just things really struck me as really well crafted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen, you wanted to put him in the, the Hall of Fame. Oh, uh, let me. You know, you obviously know my my opinions of uh, Mike Vehar, Vijer, Vahar, depending <laughs> on what we decide we're going to pronounce his name at the end of this podcast. Uh, and yes, he's up there, and he's directed a lot of episodes. Kim Friedman directed one episode. She's in there. Um, if if you'll permit me, I think that uh, last night's Babylon Five episode was without a doubt <laughs> the best episode ever. Wow. Okay, then. Wow. This this episode was amazing. It was just amazing. The first 20 minutes with the whole bits of like, uh, you know, mostly concentrating around the the council room and like the deliberate and the presenting of evidence and stuff and the way it was shot. And and, uh, we already talked about how the... um, you know, of Delane just sort of standing, sitting there looking at the flame and the shots in the flame and, and cutting back there. But I just love the shots where, you know, they're presenting evidence and we're hearing the audio from that evidence. There's a lot of trailing audio edits in this in this episode. And we're seeing like Garibaldi present his evidence to Londo in his chambers. But we don't hear any dial, any audio from that scene at all. We just see their sort of reaction mm-hmm. to it. We, we hear oh, just like it was it was the most perfectly put together 20 minutes of Babylon 5 I've ever seen. It was stunning. Okay, then. This is yeah. why he is here, you guys. This Fair is enough. Here. It Fair. was amazing. It, and we'll go on. Like I said, Erica took probably uh, three times as many notes for this uh, about what I said than, than what she was going to say yep. herself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, so, um, yeah. So you mentioned, yeah, the, the dialogue thing. I really liked... Um, I don't know if it sort of harkened to, you know, sort of police procedurals, that, whether they do that on a regular basis. But, you know, during the, the, the during the presentation of evidence of, you know, of, of Franklin uh, talking about, you know, the bodies and the autopsies and, you know, then Garibaldi presenting uh, his various evidence. Uh, you know, it, it just the laying out of evidence, it um, showing, you know, just that the coalition, this is why they waited. This is why they waited so long until they had something definitive that they could offer the alliance because they did not want to risk triggering hostilities 
over maybes. And it was, I mean, honestly, it was much more fulsome than, than I expected. I mean, we, we saw Lanier get the, the evidence, which, you know, they, they showed Alondo at the same time as they show everybody else because drama. Um, <laughs> but, but I didn't, I, I had, did never even occurred to me that there would be information about the, the type of light and the way it bleaches skin and the way the energy weapons explode as opposed to slicing and just there's like yeah all this sort of forensics type stuff that um makes perfect sense like of course of course that's the kind of evidence that they would want to to collect and lay out uh but i was just i kind of found myself surprised by it in a really really good way yeah and it's not antiseptic um they're not they're not being impartial judges when they present this stuff. They're presenting it with political impact. There's no other explanation for why they hold mm-hmm. off on showing the um, the the video that Lanier captured until Londo's in the room. I mean, they they know what the evidence says, but they are presenting it in a way that leaves Londo nowhere to go, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you and juxtapose that with Delin giving him that hug goodbye at the end of the last episode oh, i mean yeah they know they they believe in londo but they know that the centauri have done this and the centauri have to be made to pay and there can be no soft pedaling it to spare londo pain without giving the Centauri wiggle room. You know, they've they've got mm-hmm. to they've got to open up. It is it is tough stuff that Delin, Jakar, and Sheridan do in this episode. And then to have in other scenes, you know, them being so sympathetic and so feeling so bad about what's going on and things like that. You know, you know, Jakar is right up there with Sheridan and Delin and then and then he has that quiet conversation with Delid about him wanting to support Londo. And then it's another buddy, buddy road movie <laughs> back to, right. with, with, with Jakar and Londo. You know, it's it's it, it it's heavy, but it's light. I mean, they still care about him, they, about Londo. They don't they don't want to go down this path. It's just there's there's so much complexity to it. Yeah, they they don't want Londo to leave Babylon Five because of you know the risks of him going back home and you know at worst um, you know being killed because he's arguing you know he obviously has not known what's been going on he's suspected but he hasn't shared his suspicions with them and they could not share their investigation with him uh, and now um, the result is their their unified force is divided because Londo has to share what his government tells him to do and they double down and triple down and basically <laughs> deny everything and say look over there narns and yeah it's I, always it just, <laughs> and 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 londo doesn't want to be- still doesn't want to believe that the centauri are responsible for this he doesn't want to believe mm-hmm. that he's out, that he would be out of the loop on such a thing nor does he want to believe that his you know because getting into this shooting war he clearly feels would be just you know that this is the whole reason why he turned his turned his back on the shadows during the shadow war you know uh this is not good for business 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a great, subtle performance from Peter Jurassic. You know, he's very bombastic. Because you know, I, I'm not refuting the charges because there, to me, there's no charges to refute. He's, you know, he's tearing up the dossier and throwing it in the air in a very flamboyant shot. But then once he sees the uh, the footage that Lanier presents, you know, there's a switch to him where he says, "Here's what I'm going to do." You know, he just says it very matter of factly. I'm going back to Centaur. We're going to get to the bottom of this. He's not saying, you know, this can't be. There must be some mistake. He does sort of say it's an elaborate hoax, but he doesn't. You know, he's he's saying with such gravity that mm-hmm. you can tell that he doesn't know what's going on, and Dolan and Sheridan both know that he doesn't know what's going on. And that he's he almost feels betrayed by his own government at that point for not telling him or and also just for what they're doing in the first place. But because he is, you know, Centauri, he is what the emperor, the prime minister, I guess. Yeah. Um, he still is representing the, the Centauri. So he has to sort of fulfill his duty um, and sort of, you know, represent uh, his government in in the in the council. But he, you can just tell he's he's left shattered, but he's too proud to show that he's shattered in that council room. It's such a great performance. And the fact that, uh, you know, yes, it, it's funny and you get the sort of buddy, buddy cop, buddy comedy sort of thing with Jakar going along. Uh, I had a moment when Jakar was, was telling Delenn that he was going to go. I was like, OK, how is uh, how's Londo even going to take that? Is he even going to let Jakar actually come with him? Because, you know, as much as Jakar would want to come along, I'm certain that Londo could have made it so that he couldn't uh, get off the transport on Centauri Prime. But but he does. He shows up and, you know, we just we skip that. We don't have to. Sadly, we don't get to see Jakar uh, bugging the crap out of Londo talking the whole way (laughs) to Centauri Prime. Um, But we do just see them both walking in together. And Londo makes it very clear that, yep, he's here as my bodyguard again, you know, regardless of circumstances. Circumstances, so so Lando is still. Uh, I think he still recognizes that at least his friends, you know, the, the leaders of the alliance, uh, understand where he's coming from and don't think that he is is in on it. Like it's it's one of those things where that's part of the tragedy of it. That you know they know that he doesn't know, and at this point he knows that they know that he doesn't know, and it's like they all understand where everybody's at, and nobody can do anything about it. They are just stuck where they are. Um, and and since I mentioned it, I just wanted to to touch on the scene between Delenn and Jakar. Mm-hmm. That scene, I think, as much as. Any other sequence in all of Babylon 5 that we have watched through this time, that got me crying. It was mm-hmm. so beautifully acted and directed and and written and everything just came together so well. I mean, they were that was that was a real goodbye. You, you know, we keep talking yeah. about how we're closing in on the end of season five. Whoa, it felt like it. That felt yeah. final. That felt really final, didn't it? I know. Mm-hmm. I know. It's what you said, Chip, an episode or two ago when uh, when Delenn hugs um, Londo. You just get a sense of like wrapping things up. I mean, what are there six episodes left after this? I mean, we are, we are approaching end game. We are approaching end game, and I'm a broken record on this subject. But that scene between Delenn and Jakar. Look at Jakar. Look at Andreas Katsoulis. Mm-hmm. Compare and contrast to the Gathering and beep beep. <laughs> And would you like to be <laughs> conscious or, no, or unconscious for the mating? Such the, 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 and yeah. pardon me while man. I while I wield my power rings at you. Yeah, mm-hmm. Did, didn't I call him? Didn't I call him sort of the comedy alien or something at the very you beginning did. of this? Yeah. And, yeah, and I stand by that. 
I still stand by that. I think the character has evolved, and Andreas Katsoulis, I think, is probably the best actor in the, in the company. Uh, I know I've spoken highly of Jerry Doyle, but I just like uh, um, every scene with Jakar nowadays. I just like when he says, "You know, can I have the notes of my book? Can you please make sure they get to uh, to get mm-hmm. to Narn after?" Just the way he delivered these things, like he's just he's brilliant. He's excellent, and I've seen him in other things now. Like I've seen him out of makeup in an episode of Enterprise recently, and he like he he raised the level of guest acting in that episode too. And uh, yeah, he's he's a treat to watch. He was always my favorite Romulan. Mm-hmm. Well, I haven't. Which which was he in uh, Romulan? In? He was uh, Commander Tomalock in multiple episodes of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oh, okay, I haven't seen Generation in like twenty years. So that when when I next watch, I will keep an <laughs> eye out for him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so y- you brought up Jerry Doyle. Uh, we do have um, some fairly pivotal events happening with Garibaldi. I have been sort of- waiting for this moment with a sense of dread all season. Mm-hmm. The moment when he is asleep at the switch, the last ditch effort that could have uh, averted a shooting war between the Drazi and the Centauri. I've been yep, dreading yep. this. But it was so gorgeous, wasn't it? <laughs> like, <laughs> again, to come back to the directing, um, you know, Stephen kept pointing out different ca- camera, like things and motions and stuff. I, uh, the, there there are two two scenes Stephen what was the first one that you mentioned something about like a shot like halfway through a glass or something the like that the introductory shot of of Garibaldi his first shot in this episode we see him through the reflection of uh, an empty glass of whiskey essentially like mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know it, it's a metaphor that kind of hits it over the head but it it looks so perfect uh, yeah. and then we see it again when he sort of puts the bottle down and the great thing is, is that the reflection sort of shows up like like a mirror image in a way just the way that mm-hmm. the light is reflected in the glass and i thought it's it, it you know it's twisted him around basically it's made him mm-hmm. a mirror image of himself it's he's like dr jekyll and mr hyde in a way in that instance yeah there were that was that's right there, there are two pieces of symmetry that i really liked so i the the opening scene of john and delenn and the fact that they they close it as well it's mm-hmm. you know it's beautiful but also our first our very first shot of garibaldi is yeah it's when when zach is coming to wake him up and right. we're seeing him through through the empty glass and then at the very end when he is asleep at the switch the camera pans down so that you're panning down and then you're seeing the top of his head and then you're seeing his head and he's asleep and it keeps panning down and you see the top of a glass and you're like oh my god oh no and it keeps panning down and this time the, the, the glass isn't empty it's actually half empty right. <laughs> or half yeah. full at this point no the glass is definitely not half full you guys of all these glasses very much half empty yep mm-hmm. and as it and as it continues to pan down because of the uh, the light refracting through the liquid because it is a uh, because there's liquid in the glass which i think that's the reason that there's liquid in the glass this time is so that the refraction will like steven said flip his image around and he's he's you know it's a it's a mirror image and it was just Mm -hmm. i was like stunned that was stunning yeah fred fred v murphy the second uh because i had to look this up he was the director because the literally the very first shot of the episode i thought okay this looks different than the normal um camera operating but it doesn't look like Vehar because Vehar rarely starts off on that kind of a shot. Um, so instantly I knew it wasn't Vehar, but I realized that something was different. And sure enough, uh, Fred Murphy, who who was um, director of photography on eight episodes, I had to look this up because it's usually um, John C. I can't remember his last Flynn. name. Flynn, right? Flynn, Flynn mm-hmm. who is uh, usually the director of photography on Babylon Five. So 
the combination of a slightly just a different perspective of how to shoot things and and the director who like obviously I'm not I'm not moaning his talents because he's one of the great directors on Babylon Five, all one episode that he did, and <laughs> but yes, he is married to Mira Furlan. He hadn't directed anything for seven years, seven years, like, and he only mm-hmm. had like five little things in Croatia uh, on his resume before that, and then he went on to direct a couple things after that, and that's basically it. Like, where wh- where has Yugoslavia slash Croatia been hiding this guy all this time? And why hasn't he been able? It was the green card. Like, is it was he unable to work in the United States? And we've been, we've been denied his vision to uh, direct Babylon Five all this time. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um, one thing that comes out in the Lurker's Guide is that, uh, in addition to the script excerpt that is uh, posted there of the opening bedroom scene, um, somebody asks. Uh, Somebody asked JMS about uh, Sheridan dropping the slipper and, you know, and JMS Mm -hmm. goes into some of the pun of that. And and then he follows and says, I took a great deal of care in blocking out every shot in that one, as opposed to some other cases, as with Mike Vehar, when I wrote in the face of the enemy, quote, they pulled down Sheridan like a pack of wolves bringing down a lion, end quote, knowing that he would then take that and turn it into art. And he did. So I think there are a couple of things happening here. There's Goran Gajic's natural natural talent, there's JMS recognizing that he may be a little rusty, um, or it may have been a while since he directed, so uh, apparently if the rest of the script is anything like the excerpt on The Lurker's Guide, JMS really does lay out, puts a lot of stuff into the scene descriptions. Uh, so some of the stuff that uh, Goran did was probably scripted out that way uh but i also get the sense that every actor on the stage knowing that this is mira's husband Mm -hmm. raised their made sure that they were fully in tune attuned because between between his direction and their responsiveness there are some phenomenal performances including i think bruce boxleitner's best Mm -hmm. performance of the entire season Mm-hmm. And also, yeah. um, also the scene which we haven't talked too much about yet uh, between Garibaldi and Zach. Oh, yeah. yes. I was going to circle back to that in a minute. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I had forgotten that um, that that scene had happened. That Garibaldi had flung Zach's past in his face. I mean, we remember back. You know, Garibaldi had said once or twice, especially in the Night Watch phase, that you know I. You know, I took a chance on you when nobody else would, that sort of thing. So we knew that there was something in Zach Allen's past. And now we get a more blatant admission that it was some kind of addiction uh, of some sort. And Zach knows exactly what Garibaldi's going through, but Garibaldi is like arguing against it. He's still fighting it and throwing it back in Zach's face. And it was just such a painful scene to see, you know, these two friends circling around this problem. Uh, oftentimes, I think Jeff Conway sort of like plays it kind of like as a tip stereotypical like 1970s New York cop on a mm-hmm. space station, um, <laughs> except for the scene with Garibaldi, which is far and away his best work um, that I've ever seen him do. And uh, you pointed out, I mean, we, we all know that both gentlemen sadly passed away because of addiction uh, and mm-hmm. there's a genuine pain 
there in in those performances i think especially on jeff conway's who i think is sort of was fighting his demons and then came out of them and it was at babylon five and so he like there's a realism to that performance mm-hmm. it just makes you believe you know uh sometimes i think oh I, you know jeff conway's okay but i kind of you know you know how i feel about lou um but i also <laughs> i also kind of wish sometimes that garibaldi had a little more of a prominent role but this episode i thought yeah jeff conway is is really good he is. Uh, they both are. They, they both fought their demons. I think that informed their performances. JMS knew that and and and, mm-hmm. and scripted this to sort of take advantage of it. And it's effortlessly directed. Um, it's. I can't think of a. I can't think of a sour note in the entire show in terms of performances. I can't think of one. None. I I can give you a half of a one, like uh, a okay. it's a half note, a quarter note, maybe. Yeah. Just and 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 honestly, the only reason that it is the teensiest bit off is simply because it's in comparison to all of the other pieces, which are like masterful. Uh, so so one of the things that we we have a tendency to to snicker at is is some of the guest actors, and mm-hmm. occasionally you get a guest actor heavy who is is not that good. And I have to say that the uh, the the. Carrie. The group, yeah, the group of Brigari yeah. who are, are are coming to attack um, Franklin as he's trying to get Veer out. Now, if you would t- if you would take that the guy who had the speaking role, if you would have taken him and dropped him into like ninety percent of any other Babylon Five episodes, he actually would have looked pretty good. I have to say, like, because he wasn't mm-hmm. he wasn't bad, but simply because he was in this episode and he he had some lines um, and very few other non-regulars had lines in this episode. Mm-hmm. It just it 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 wasn't quite the same level of of awesome. Um, but I, yeah, I'm certain I'm, I'm not actually going to call it a sour note. I'm just going to say that for me, the, yeah, that's that's the weak point of the episode. And as I said, the weak point of this episode is something that if you would put in a different episode would actually be a strong point. So yeah, that doesn't really count as a complaint, I think. Yeah, he jumped out at me too. Yeah, the, the, the minute the minute he he started speaking his lines, I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Bless your heart. <laughs> yeah, the main acting is usually at an eight. Uh, and the guest acting is usually at a six. And mm. when the main acting is at a 10 and the guest acting is still fighting, you know, at the same level, it, it does. Yeah. The gap mm-hmm. is, is more noticeable. What did you all think of the Centauri Sean Spicer? <laughs> oh, jeez. He, he was, was so he unctuous. Yeah. He performed his part very well. <laughs> yeah, he was very good. Which which made him all the more irritating. I, I, I wanted to punch him in the teeth <laughs> many mm-hmm. times. Yeah. So, yeah, the actor did his job. <laughs> Yep. And he made me think that like, and I have no idea because I don't remember terribly well. So I don't know if this is this is an on purpose thing or if it's it's legit, but it made me feel like some Centauri actually do know exactly what is going on because he mm-hmm. just seemed like he had all of the answers behind his weaselly little eyes and just like was just so smug about it and i mean maybe maybe that's not even really supposed to be the case but but that's just the kind of character that he is that he's just you know act, acts that way to because he knows he has the upper hand but it just to me it, it just deepened the whole mystery around what's going on on centauri prime because you've got you've got this person who you know he's not the prime minister he's not the the regent but yet he seems to have a lot more power than mm-hmm. uh certainly than londo does because londo ends up in jail at the end of it well yeah. we've been hearing so much about the regent being ill 
And mm -hmm. uh, one wonders why the regent's uh, gone completely radio silent uh, during this story. Uh, and one one suspects that this guy knows why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. just a brain slug, right, that we saw? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure. I, it's been a while since we saw him, so I'm thinking yes. that, that, that's still a thing that happened. They didn't resolve that, did they? Okay, good. Okay. That, I'll keep paying attention. Is. Not been resolved yet. It mm -hmm. it may come out soon. We don't know, but <laughs> well, it better because yeah. there's only six episodes yeah. left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so uh, something I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, various callbacks that some were um, scripted. Um, I don't know how many of them were acting choices, uh, but we had um, the obvious ones like uh, Londo and. Um, Jakar standing outside the palace on Centauri Prime and the warships are flying overhead. And mm -hmm. of course, my mind went straight to, um, I forget the first time we see this, the coming of shadows maybe is when Londo has one of his prophetic dreams and is seeing the shadow vessels flying overhead mm -hmm. in the Centauri yeah. sky. That's when um, he's changing his coat, right? In the, yeah. uh, in the adventure version. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we have things like that. Steven, you, you mentioned one uh, dialogue based uh, echo that you saw. I did. It was at the very end of the episode um, when, uh, you know, when they're in their cell together and they're sort of like being comedy buddy movie a little bit. And then it sort of turns a little bit serious again. And Londo looks at the sky and sort of says, you know, sometimes I feel like I don't understand anything anymore. And the, literally the first thing mm -hmm. I thought when I heard that line, it was that it was a deliberate echo of um, Sinclair's last line of season one. Nothing's right. the same anymore. Mm -hmm. I got that. Yeah. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but that is certainly the vibe that I got. And I'm also surprised that I remembered it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> you mentioned Box Lightner's performance. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the scene where everything comes to a head and he just, you know, literally shouts out all of his frustrations, all of his anger that, you know, yet again, pieces sort of slip through their fingers. Um, just the way he just yells it all out at the entire council and they take it, they listen, you know, they, they hear what he's saying. It's not going to change the outcome. Oh no, but, he's, he's but fully, he, he's, he got his message across. I mean, he, he's yelling it out even as he's going down that same path. He's not, yeah. he's, he's not yelling at them to change the outcome. He's like, mm -hmm. damn me and damn me for going along with it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's great direction in that, too. Sorry, Chip. Yeah. Go, on, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, I, it just, I love how he basically, with each sentence, uh, there, he, he, Goran, I'm going to call him by his first name because I know how to pronounce that. Uh, <laughs> Goran, um, you know, cuts every sentence different. Like, he just alternates between two angles all the time just mm -hmm. to get the full. A lot of the episode, he's focusing a lot. And this is unusual for Babylon 5. He focuses on reaction shots of people. Like, during the whole council session, we see mm -hmm. what other people are thinking towards right. the, uh, the, um, the reaction to the, the testimony and everything else. But this time, we don't, you know... We don't need to see the reaction of the people in the council chamber because it's all about sharing it at that moment. And he makes it so important that he cuts between the two just to emphasize that this is the person you're lo you're listening to. And yeah, he really, he kind of loses it a little bit. I'm not sure. It's a great performance. I'm not sure it would be a great performance as president of uh, of, of the Earth Alliance <laughs> because he's like, let's, let's, let's gear down a little bit and calm down and maybe you know try to come up with a solution but he's he's uh, clearly angry in the moment yeah uh he is oddly enough because this season's been pretty much 
Sheridan, the neophyte politician, making mistakes, being trapped in various bureaucratic kerfuffles. You know, he's he's not been uh, the great war hero captain this season, and. In this, in that scene in the council chambers, he simultaneously hits rock bottom, and is more alive and passionate and righteous than he's ever been. It's an mm-hmm. it's an incredible juxtaposition there because in the end he's expending all of this emotional energy, and he's not he can't change anything, mm-hmm. but he's. He's not holding anything back, and I just find that incredibly compelling. He's <laughs> he's 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 the shackles of the shackles of the office seem to have fallen off of him a little bit, even though he's still got to do what he's got to do. I think it's yeah, it's like a, there's a it's a nothing left to lose kind of a moment. So he's just like you know, f this. I'm I'm telling you I'm telling you what I actually think because. Because it doesn't really matter at this point. I'm 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 giving you what you asked for, and I really really don't want to. So guess what? It comes with a side of spite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I think we see sort of Londo has sort of a similar arc in the the fact you know you, you all mentioned that you know he's sort of he's bombastic again and he's loud again and he's sort of you know season one and season two Londo again, um, and it's it's painful to see it this time around because he is still fighting you know in defense of his people at this point he does not know what's going on in centauri prime so you know he sees no reason not to defend his people mm-hmm. and you know and again you know the, the, the all this rage that he's showing all this anger isn't going to accomplish anything either it's just you know the the, the character parallels the way we sort of you know bounce back to what they've been in previous seasons in this new situation uh it um it just it really struck chords. Mm-hmm. I had not remembered that this episode was as good as it is. I know. I just want to like go back in time to heck, you know, just like I don't know, a few months ago to to the Erica who was eh, looking down her nose a little bit at season five, as <laughs> as we have we have talked about even in non spoiler space. It's not viewed as the the favorite season of of a lot of people. And holy cats, like, how, how did I forget that this was here? Was I just not paying attention? Did it, you know, what's, damn it, past me. <laughs> Boo. Well, uh, that's a, you know, question for the group, you know. Um, we've talked at length about the problems and the challenges getting season five off the ground and how this season began as a bunch of slices of life, much like season one, um, exploring a new status quo. But as we've been building towards this moment, do we feel differently about how the how the series got us how the season got us to this point? Stephen, I, I want to hear your answer. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I mean, you know, I understand how television works. It's a, it's a it's an industry of deadlines, and when you are 
given the green light for a new season on basically the eleventh hour um, of finishing the the fourth one, you're you're kind of scrambling a little bit. I I know on my last appearance I compared this season to season four of Blake Seven, which was renewed literally as the credits rolled at the end of season three <laughs> by the uh, controller of BBC One, who liked the episode enough to phone up the the producer and say, "Hey, let's make another season of this," even though you've destroyed all the sets and told the cast to go away. Um, and I I I think the the telepath war um, thing was sort of intended to sort of be the arc while we sort of like scrambled to find something perhaps more, not relevant, but perhaps more with more weighty, I think, because, you know, in the end, the telepath war was sort of, it was a standoff as a telepath standoff as um, Babylon five just Waco, Texas. And now this feels <laughs> once again, that we're kind of going down Similar ground in that it's a war, as you said at the start, Shannon. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels different this time because we were at peace before. We had this sort of established peace and we saw what it took to sort of get towards that peace. And now we see how it's falling apart. And that's what kind of makes it tragic is that we've seen how they can come together and 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 remain united. And now all of a sudden... Um, kind of like how the first war, Centauri Narn st- war, started mm-hmm. because of like lack of communication. It feels right. like we're kind of going down that same r- route again. And um, the last two episodes have been superb. Um, the one, the one thing that I notice, and I think this is not um, as much of a, you know, I feel sorry for Tracy Scoggins who came on this, you know, has, mm-hmm. hasn't appeared anywhere in these last two episodes. I almost feel bad for Claudia Christian because if she had stayed on for season five, uh, you know, you can kind of look at Tracy Scoggins as the uh, Claudia Christian replacement character in many ways. Because I could see, I could totally see Ivanova be becoming like, you know, captain of the station. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like that character and that a position for that character there's just no place for in this storyline and i would i would have felt even worse for claudia christian so maybe she saw the writing on the wall and she saw where perhaps things were going for her character in this next season of babylon 5 says you know what i got better things to do than waiting around to, to shoot my one scene an episode if if that at all so maybe that's, that's one thing yeah maybe but then I, again that, that that's me again completely you might laugh at me once we go into spoiler space but uh, this yeah. is just my my impression that i get as a as a New viewer. No, I think it's a. I think it's a valid perception. I think that if Claudia Christian had stayed, I think because the level of trust had been established between Sheridan and Ivanova, and mm-hmm. so and, and you know, and they tried to they tried to retrofit that to Lockley as well to a certain extent. But I think you would have found more ways to get Ivanova into the story, as if nothing else a confidant to Sheridan. Mm-hmm. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But yeah, it's totally fair how it's sort of seesawed because, you know, in the first half of this uh, season, uh, because of the focus on the telepath war, um, we had a lot more of Captain Lockley uh, and her finding her place in the grand scheme of things. And the interstellar Alliance was sort of putting itself together in the background uh, and now we are dealing with issues that are solely the focus of the Interstellar Alliance. I mean, Babylon 5 is not in the line of fire. Babylon 5 is, you know, not part of the shooting in any way that's about to break out here. Um, 
So, you know, her character is not needed in this part of the story right now. So, you know, that's ensemble ensemble casting for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, one, one thing that you guys multiple times have mentioned a little bit throughout this episode that Stephen just really crystallized for me is the fact that I think one of the reasons that this is so weighty is simply because, yes, they, we have seen them almost almost achieve that you know awesome peace and alliance because they the the first time you know yeah it was exciting to get the band together for the first time and watch them watch them come together to defeat like a great big evil and then you know you know the backsliding after that was was sort of minimal and it didn't take all that much i mean in in comparison it obviously it was big it was a big work i'm I'm not trying to downplay sheridan's you know contribution but uh, but getting them to then band together and form the interstellar alliance was you know it was important work but it it didn't feel it didn't feel like it was such a huge um catastrophe like this does because we actually saw them still squabbling like children but but doing it, you know, as as children in the same family, and now just just watching that come sort of crashing down is is super painful. So much so much more tragic. Yeah, I, I kept flashing back a couple of times to that scene uh, that ends. Um, I think it's like the third or fourth episode in of this season where they get all of the um, member races to sign on to Jakar's declaration. And there's that pan shot of Delenn and Sheridan and Jakar and Londo just all beaming at each other because mm-hmm. they've done it. You know, that they've done it. They've accomplished what they set out to do. And then, you know, we're like only, a, you know, not even a dozen episodes later and uh, and we're here. <laughs> yeah. Sigh. Oh, so... Is there anything else that anybody really, really has to get in um, before we have to send Stephen on his way? <laughs> I, I'm I'm just glad that um, uh, the episodes that I really liked are ones that you rediscovered that you liked mm-hmm. a lot more than you thought you did. That makes me happy because, you know, I like to like the good episodes, um, but I like to sort of stumble on ones that... Um, that perhaps you didn't think I I would like, and um, and um, so that now you see why I guess why I wanted to be on this episode because <laughs> well, it was a really good episode. I uh, I mean you, there are episodes that we're like you know severed dreams the big the big reset button at, in the middle of season three that was one of those that where we were like we have to have Stephen on we have to have Stephen on we have to have Stephen on um, if I recall correctly we dragged you onto that one. Um, did we, Erica? Did we? Did we? Did we tell him that he was going to be on that one before he saw that I one? I don't think so. I can't right. remember. And then we, and as it turns out, it's a pivotal plot uh, point in the plot for the entire series, and it's really powerful for that reason. But it's not the best directed of episodes. Here's one that's just the escalation of everything that came before. We didn't remember it as a wham 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 kind of episode. It's just that good yep so one step at a time we are yeah rediscovering and rehabilitating season five for everybody we hope (laughs) yep because because yeah (laughs) because yeah this is not this is not the season five that i dimly remember from from previous years yeah we had friends who watched babylon five with us back in the day uh who largely swore off season five uh with the telepath crisis and 
um, and Byron's uh, flowing locks of hair and stuff. And I understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, you miss a whole lot when you get to this stuff. If you if, if 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 you if you've still sort of made up your mind that everything sucks, he lost JMS lost his touch, et cetera, and so on. Uh, you you miss you miss this episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Um, so Stephen, thank you very much for jumping in and and sharing uh, and sharing your reactions to this particular episode. Uh, we are very glad that you did. Um, if where can people find you if they want more of your opinions? You can find. Me and my opinions, uh, such as they may be, at uh, on Twitter at Legopolis. Okay, all right. So uh, our next episode is movements of fire and shadow. So uh, we will see what whether that title means anything shadow? in particular. Yes, I said shadow. Ooh. <laughs> this is JMS and his titles, though. So mm-hmm. don't read too much into it yet. Um. So, uh, as always, you can come and talk to us about these episodes at uh, b5audioguide.com, where we keep our chat threads separated into spoiler-free and spoilerific. We are also on Twitter and Tumblr at b5audioguide. And at this point, we will say goodbye to Stephen, so we can talk about the very few episodes that remain in Season 5. We're only chip-counted. We've only got, like, what, seven episodes left? Counting a movie that I forgot that we needed to slot in. Mm. Yeah. So in the meantime, uh, let us jump through that jump gate. Six episodes in a movie. Yep. Uh, (laughs) Reference of knowledge. And we are back having dropped Stephen off at the station so that he can continue to remain spoiler free for these last closing episodes. Um, so what... What do we have, if, uh, if anything? We're running out. Of, we're running out of yeah. space. But the regent, uh, the regent is finally going to show up next episode. So uh, we've been sort of, we've been sort of uh, blithely, blithely pretending that uh, <laughs> we don't know where the regent is. But of course we do. And we know, and we all know what his situation is. But it's clear that the regent isn't in charge so what's the point of making him available to londo or or anything Mm -hmm, like that mm -hmm. so uh but we will see him next time and he will be even further away from celebrating pastels (sighs) wow yeah (laughs) and we are only two episodes away from the fall of centauri prime and from from the regent dying and londo getting a keeper slapped on him and I also believe one of the things that I've I've been wanting to talk about uh, in pre-spoiler space, to this point, we don't really know that these are the Drock behind all of right. this. Yep. They're just we don't unknown even aliens. Know, we don't even mm-hmm. know that Keepers come from Drock. Yeah. Right. So everything's Not. just going to in the next two episodes, everything is just going to slide into place like you're looking at a magic eye poster. Uh, but this is the this is the canon that we've been familiar with all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I guess I I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, JMS has really been playing the cards close to the vest here. Like it it will all come together, and yeah, I had forgotten. It's a, it's all of those disparate pieces that are all 
terrible, terrible things. Terrible things, and and yet Stephen, yep. our Stephen, has no reason mm-hmm. to know about them. Um, you yep. know, and mm-hmm. he, he doesn't. We don't even know that the alien that we saw a few episodes ago was a Drock. Nope. Yeah. Just a mysterious creature. So, yeah. Um, and poor Londo. Yeah. <sighs> My heart just breaks for him. I mean, I I had forgotten that we still get some some lovely moments between him and Jakar together as the the buddy duo in in this episode. So that was that was a delightful surprise. And I like I said, I keep forgetting, uh, or, or I keep just not remembering uh, much of season five. So I don't remember if there's more of that to come or not. But it was a it was a a, a lovely little bit of balm to my soul to be mm-hmm. able to see that in this episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Stephen mentioned uh, the absence of Captain Lockley. Uh, she really doesn't have a role in movements in the in the upcoming the the conclusion mm-hmm. of the Centauri Prime stuff, uh, movements of Fire yeah. and Shadow, and the fall of Centauri Prime because Babylon Five is not under threat. And yep, right, she, exactly. And, and she's military governor of. Uh, a, a station that you know Stephen has always celebrated when the story expands out beyond the space station and it's totally mm-hmm. at that point now and Lockley doesn't have much to do but she will come back as um Garibaldi needs some help drying out and mm-hmm. as the final the final pieces are being put into place to replace everybody on Babylon mm-hmm. 5 towards the end yeah um and, and and so uh, and and of course she'll be a recurring uh, she'll have a recurring role on Crusade later on but that's another that that that's 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 a whole <laughs> hiatus away yeah yep <laughs> oh yeah. show need a break first <laughs> yeah I was yeah I'm just looking at my notes and there's just yeah so little of it is looking forward because you know again we're in another one of those areas where. You know, all the action is concentrated and happening now, um, and it's certainly going to, you know, spill things forward. Um, I I don't know. I just, I forgot to mention it during the first part, I think, but, you know, how Londo stands up for Lanier, you know, immediately. You know, of mm-hmm. course, I believe him. I know him, um, you know, calling back to the time when Lanier defended Londo, uh, that sort of thing. And then, you know, to think about, you know, we're not that far away from Lanier's betrayal either. So, yeah, you know, it's like he 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 had his big hero moment here. He gets to present to everybody, you know, this is what happened and this is what I found. And, um, yeah, and, it's all going to go sideways, basically. Yeah. And I think I kind of like that was another reason I really liked those bookends of um, Sheridan and Delenn. Um, you know, just showing how close and how tight knit as a marriage that they have become, um, mm-hmm. supporting one another, uh, you know, through this, you know, really, really horrible situation that they can't, uh, that they can't keep under control, uh, to, you know, see that, you know, Lanier is going to, you know, knock that sideways and, you know, knock a linchpin out from under Delenn because, you know, he is no longer who she thought he was, uh, Ugh, lots of gravitas. <laughs> yep. Oh, is there anything? Of course, we had the mention of, you know, Jakar adding to his book um, and more more chapters 
uh, hopefully will get added to the current print run. <laughs> so you've got your, <laughs> your incomplete first edition and hopefully the, the, the more complete compendium later on. Uh, the publishers but, are going to love it. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but that you know gives us gives us a chance to remind us you know again just you know how far Jakar's character has come. Uh, yep. Again, the the fact that he is rethinking you know the stuff that he wrote um, just you know a couple seasons ago because he has changed so much. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So I'm gathering that we haven't got anything else. I think yeah, there's just not that much left. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the The spoiler section is going to keep getting a little smaller and a little smaller and a little smaller. Mm-hmm. Yep. Boy, that spoiler um, section for Sleeping in Light, man, that'll be a that'll be <laughs> that'll be killer. <laughs> Non-existent. Exactly. Okay. Well, then, as always, we thank you all for listening to us and uh, going on this rewatch with us. We hope you all are, you know, reacting to season five the way we are and rediscovering that, you know, there's just some really, really great and powerful storytelling and acting and directing to be found in it. Uh, And we will watch our last six episodes in a movie and see what else we can find along the way. Uh, Once again, uh, next time we will be doing uh, Movements of Fire and Shadow. And until then, this is Shannon in Durham, Chip in Durham, and Erica in Edmonton. And you've been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5.